welcome back to another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the lines and talk to the movers and shakers and award winners of film and television. And what a bunch of award winners we've had over the past, of at least nominees over the past uh, few months. Um, I still immense thanks to Greta Gerwig for doing, uh, being with us for half, uh, for 30 minutes, uh, a few weeks ago. Um, absolutely fabulous having Greta with us. And you've heard from other nominees, Spirit Award nominees, Oscar nominees, and now award season is over. It's done. We get a rest for a few more months. But it's not really rest because now we get to look at the next crop of films as we get ready for next year's awards season. But first, let's talk about this weekend wrapped up with the two final awards. Uh, as is custom, the Film Independent Spirit Awards on Saturday under the tent in the be- on the beach in Santa Monica. And then yesterday, the Oscars from the Dolby Theater in beautiful Hollywood. Um, in a strange twist of fate, normally every year as far back, and I've done 30 Spirit Award uh, ceremonies um, for as many years as I can remember since we've been on the beach. It always rained. This year, Spirit Awards had bright sun, blue skies, uh, and the Oscars got the rain. So uh, that was a nice little twist. But some incredible awards, some shockers with both award ceremonies, with the Spirit Awards. Thank you know, everybody has been very upset that the Academy overlooked Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler made up for it at the Spirit Awards, uh, where he picked up, actually, Uncut Gems picked up Best Director for the Safdie Brothers, uh, picked up Best Editing, and picked up Best Male Lead for Adam Sandler. Uh, so that was, that pleased a, a whole lot of people in a surprise at the Spirit Awards. The Farewell was named first feature, best for, uh, best feature film, uh, best international film, of course, went to Parasite. Uh, other Spirit Award winners were, of course, best screenplay, Noah Baumbach, best first feature, Two, Olivia Wilde for Booksmart. Best first screenplay went to Frederica Bailey and Stephen Bristol for See You Yesterday. A very key award with the Spirit Awards is the John Cassavetes Award. It is possibly my favorite award uh, of the event. That went to the incredible film Give Me Liberty. Uh, best supporting female at the Spirit Awards was Zhao Zhizhen from the Fair from Farewell. She was not present because she is quarantined uh, back in China for the uh, coronavirus. Best Supporting Male, Willem Dafoe. Best Female Lead. There's nothing she did not win this year. Um, Renee Zellweger. Uh, The Robert Altman Award, another prestigious award at the Spirit Awards, went to Marriage Story. Best Cinematographer went to The Lighthouse. Uh... And I think it's because Roger Deakin, the 1917, wasn't eligible as a Spirit Award nominee. Otherwise, I think it would have been Deakins. 
uh, and Best Documentary, which also picked up the Oscar for Best Documentary Feature, American Factory. Uh, and this is, for those of you that don't know it, or and you haven't heard me mention it before, this is the first film under the Higher Ground banner. Uh, Higher Ground Productions is the production company started by Barack and Michelle Obama. Uh, so that's, you know, a lot of good, good stuff happened Saturday and even more good stuff happened yesterday with the earth shattering parasite best international feature, best feature film. First time Renee Zellweger, as I mentioned, picked up as to be expected, best actress for Judy, Joaquin Phoenix, best actor for Joker, Bong Joon-ho, best director for Parasite. Uh, original score, no surprise again, Joker. Parasite, best international feature. Makeup and hairstyling, as to be expected, bombshell. And I have to say, Kazuhiro, Ann Morgan, and Vivian Baker are three of the nicest people. Uh, I had the pleasure and privilege of sitting with them at our Hollywood Critics Association Awards and spent the evening with them uh, next to me. And uh, they are fabulous people um and everybody should have a chance to work with them they're not only knowledgeable and talented but they're nice uh best visual effects oscar went to 1917 and i got very excited here with film editing went to ford versus ferrari if you've seen the film you know how exquisite and how vivid the editing and visceral the editing is in Ford versus Ferrari, especially when we get into the actual Le Mans races and races leading up to that. Um, the editors, Michael McCusker, McCusker, Andrew Buckland, and their teams just showcased Fadon Papa Michael's incredible cinematography uh, so beautifully. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari also picked up Oscar for Best Sound Editing. Uh, and then to share the wealth a little, sound, uh, 1917 picked up uh, Best Sound Mixing. As comes as no surprise, Laura Dern, actress in a supporting role for Marriage Story. Uh, and as I mentioned, American Factory walked away with the Best Documentary uh, feature at the Oscars. Costume design went to Jacqueline Duran uh, for Little Women. And as I have said before, um, that's one of the standout elements in that film. My two favorite elements in Little Women are Jacqueline Duran's costume and Alexander Desplat's score. Unfortunately, Alexander lost to Hildur for Joker. Uh, production design, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a tough, tough category. But I've got to tell you, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood deserved the accolades uh, for Barbara Ling and, and set decorator Nancy Hay. Um, Incredible job transporting us back to 1960s Hollywood. Uh, best Adapted Screenplay went to Taika Waititi. I couldn't be happier. Original Screenplay went, went to Parasite. An absolutely charming, charming short film walked away with the Oscar for Best Animated Short Film. Hair Love, Sony Pictures releasing. This is from Matthew Cherry and Karen Rupert Tolliver. It is enchanting. Uh, best Animated Feature, Toy Story 4. And, of course, Best Supporting Actor, Brad Pitt. Could there have been anyone else? I don't think so. 
And of course, I was not disappointed because Elton and Bernie walked away with their Oscar. So, and now, do we have them on the line? Ah, well, let's just kick right into today's show with two very special guests that are joining us. Uh, The wonderful and talented Patrick Day, who's been here before, and writer-director Paul Osborne talking about their new film, Cruel Hearts. Hello, guys. Hello. You're on. You're on. Are you there? Very to be on. Yes, I'm here. Oh my God! Well, and yet, I'm here too. <laughs> well, thank goodness. I have to tell well, you. Not you. <laughs> I have to tell you guys, Cruel Hearts. I love this film. I love. Oh, the, thank you. I love the visuals. I love the story. I love the cinematography on it. I love it's it's unique and Patrick you look fabulous in purple. I got to tell you. <laughs> that, well, thank you, Debbie. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, well it is my favorite color, so whenever people use it I take notice, but it is so striking in your role as Bert. And when we see it set against the beautiful dark woods in the bar that Bert owns, or even that dark teal wall in the office, absolutely gorgeous. Um, the, oh, excellent. You know, the color, the, the use of color in this film is really key to the characters and the story that's going on. Um, because the bar, which, which Bert owns and which is, shall we just, let's just say it, you know, eh, he's, he's got a little bit of, you know, a little bit of the Irishman happening here with some mob connections. <laughs> and uh, so we have the dark woods, the darker colors you feel, but it's all glossy and gorgeous. And then at home, Bert's home is light. It's kind of bland, but it's brightly lit. Um, you've got mirrored closets. And I have to tell I got to tell you, Paul, those shots yes. with Patrick standing in the hallway and you've got mirrored closets on either side and you get this great panoramic view, almost a, tri- uh, a tritic, a triptych. It is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, oh, well, thank you. So I, I'm just in love with this. So now that I prattled on about the, how gorgeous this film is and how fun it is, Tell us, tell us where, what this story is and where it came from. Well, you've seen the movie, so you know it's a little tricky to, to, to describe because yeah, without, you don't want to give it any way. That's just, it's one right. of those. Right, it's one of those. I, I guess the best starting point is, because uh, it is a film noir, yep. and you take that traditional film noir love triangle. You've got the, the, uh, you know, the, kind of the dangerous husband. You have the wife who's a little too pretty for him, and then you have kind of her younger lover who's sort of duped into the situation. We just took that and turned it on its head. So instead of the guy being kind of a, the young lover being kind of a, a rube, it's sort of like, what if he's fully aware and doesn't want to be there? And he's like, ah, i got to get out of this. <laughs> and that's sort of the, the, the take on it. Well, I have to say, I don't think it's a spoiler to, to give the setup in the first scene. Um, 
when the guy comes in into the bar, Bert's there doing the books, be they for him or for someone else. Um, and the right, guy says, exactly. guy says, I got to tell you, I'm, I slept with your wife. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that, I was sitting there watching this and I was like, oh my God. Um, so unexpected. It catches you off guard. And in that one moment, you know, you must, you're in for the ride here. Um, I I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) That's the plan. (laughs) Um, you know, Patrick, when you saw this script and you saw, this is how this film starts. (laughs) What did you think? Oh, I was so excited. I mean, I, you know, the fact that it starts with such a kick in the teeth is, you know, (laughs) It kept me reading the entire uh, way through. And the fact that, you know, I, I, I'm i such a fan of Paul Osborne. I know he's on the phone, so I don't want to brag too much about him while he's here. But, uh, but <laughs> No, no, we, we have to do that when he's not around. Exactly. Um, you know, <laughs> when he sends me a script, I can't wait to just eat it, you know. So it was, uh, it was very exciting to uh, get that first moment, especially in the script, and then to watch what happens without sports alerts, read what happens. You know, it was very thrilling for me as well. Oh, I, I just, and then, uh, Paul, you go and you pepper, uh, you know, you pepper this, the film with some great talent. Eddie Jemison, I love seeing him. We don't, and I don't see, it, you know, he was there all the time because of the Oceans film. So we got used to seeing right. him. So uh, he already has built in from his recognition from prior films, his history of, of films, because he always he generally plays kind of a little shady on just just this side of the law. Uh, and, yep. <laughs> and he's in one scene as Grimmer, and he is a delight to see. Um, and then you bring in Melora Hardin as the sweet, kind, sensitive waitress, Grace. Uh, and it's always nice to see her. And you've got Bonnie Root in there, and then Alev Aiden. Um, just an amazing... Alev, Aiden, yeah. I mean, just an amazing blend. And what I love with the casting is that, Patrick, you are so terrific, be it with playing against Bonnie, playing, playing against Eddie, playing against, and you don't get to play with Melora, but you get to play with Alev, so... <laughs> uh, you know this this is uh, did you do chemistry reads on this guys um, um not with I'll, I'll let you not with that. this no wow oh, uh, yes well, you, Paul. Go ahead. you know, a lot of these actors that we already um we already kind of knew uh bonnie had actually come, come in and auditioned for a previous film that pat and i did called favor and so i'd seen them together already like in that audition. So I sort of knew, and we, they, they knew each other. We knew each other. We've known Eddie for a while. So, and I, I've done the lab. So it's sort of like everybody was, most of the actors were familiar with each other before this, mm-hmm. sort of like an acting troupe. So you sort of, there's a, um, a relaxed atmosphere and a, you know, the history between the actors that goes beyond the characters. Um, so, I mean, fortunately they, they did blend correctly, but I didn't really think about it. That chemistry, because I already kind of knew when I wrote the script that I wanted these actors and I knew how they were going to play off each other. Now, did you write this with Patrick in mind to play the role of Bert? I did. I did. I tend to, for whatever reason, Patrick's kind of my muse. Oh. So I tend to usually write uh, a role for Patrick. Yeah, we've got three films together now. This is the second one. We have one more that we, we're editing now. Oh, the survival. Um, and yeah. 
Well, the other actors get a little jealous. <laughs> like, well, Patrick's back, but, you know, like, well, I don't know. But Patrick's got, um, Patrick's sort of the secret weapon in that he's got this kind of uh, humanity that comes through in everything he does. So no mm-hmm. matter how nasty a, gar- a character you make him, you see the, the Achilles, you see the humanity in it. So the only thing you really can't play is the Terminator. Like, that's really the only, because <laughs> you always see the person underneath. So, yeah, so you can make him play a nice guy, you can play a mean guy, you can, oh, but it always, there's always that third dimension is there. It never falls into a flat, you know, so you really, so in a sense, it's like, you know, I have this, I have this uh, weaponized actor <laughs> I can kind of put in anywhere, uh, very versatile, very uh, uh, transformative, and, um, and uh, yeah, so I, I tend to write for him. Well, and also, I, Patrick and I are, are almost exactly the same age. We're kind of have similar backgrounds, and so there's a you know I don't know. He's like my Samuel L. Jackson or my uh, ah. you know he's the guy that I, I kind of bring back. Mm-hmm. Or your or Gary Marshall's Hector Elizondo. Yes, exactly. You know, I've actually I I, I worked with Hector Elizondo uh, Elizondo years ago, and I asked him about that, and he goes, my 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 the luck is that Gary Marshall's very superstitious. Yep. And he thinks I'm his good luck charm. And he put and it. So in he doesn't every... want to make a movie without me because he figures it'll end his career. He put so. it into every every contract that Hector would have a role. That, yeah, but you know, but honestly, Hector is great. Oh yeah, he's a really great actor. So, well, you know, and Patrick is him. superb, and Patrick, I love watching you in this film because we see you had you really bring out this great. We see the rage building. We see the the rage and kudos on the camera work because yeah and the editing because then we'll we'll see we'll hear a click of of the gun and we'll see the fist clenching like in the jacket pocket or in the pants pocket and pan back up cut to the face and you know you're getting hotter and hotter and then just when you think you're going to explode all of a sudden you're calm and. <laughs> scares the bejeebus out of someone when they do that. Um, so watching you do, do that is just amazing. And without giving anything away, in that third act, that climactic third act, um, I, I, when you're there in the hotel room, that is just, there are no words to even describe that. It, you are so good in there. Uh, thank you so much. That's- very kind of you. I appreciate that. You know, most of that was on the page. I have to divert that to Paul because it's all in there when you read it. Um, so what I try to do is just deliver what he's been kind enough to let me sort of play with. <laughs> so lucky me. You know? Well, you play so well with it. <laughs> and then as well as you play, then Paul, it's like, I love what you do when you're going in for an ECU. You've got several really cool moments of an ECU and then becomes almost fish-eyed. Um, oh, thanks. And it really, it's so impactful visually. And it, and you do that with Patrick. You do that, uh, you do that with Bonnie. Uh, and it just looks yeah. so good. And it just, it makes you take pause as a viewer watching this, wondering what's happening next. Oh, well, well, thank you. Well, I think the, the trick is, you know, it's not overused the close-up. Right. I mean, that's really the trick, because you know, they tend to get, they're so powerful, people tend to use them for every shot. 
the trick is really to, to really select the right moment to kind of come in close. Um, also, I, I, this is kind of a, a, it's kind of a trick, but I, I also like to play eyeline to camera often, so the more intense it's getting, the closer eyeline's getting to where the lens is. And, you know, some of those, I had to have Patrick go right into the lens. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pat is um, Pat's a very um, reactive actor. And so, you know, he's fantastic. He doesn't need a lot. But he does need something, you know, to play off of. He's, like, he's a real other person. He's listening. He's dancing. He's present. And it's really hard to be present when you're staring into a round piece of glass, mm-hmm. you know, three feet from your face. Um, so kudos to him to, to, to really to, to maintain that focus and to maintain, uh, you know, what his character is doing, the intent, the emotions, the, the, you know, the, the, the rage of that character and play it right down the barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and, and that's also the other cast too, Bonnie and Lev, all of them had to do that at some point. I kind of talked to them, but, <laughs> okay, now we're putting the camera right in your face. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and, but, uh, but Pat, Pat brought it in, man. Pat, it's, it's, thank you, Pat, for not, uh, for being, you know, extremely, uh, flexible with how I torture you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can't say it. I can't say it's uncommon for an actor to like to have a camera close to their face. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but usually, but usually, like you know, we can. It's like you know, can I just see a little piece of Bonnie? <laughs> and I'm like, nope, because there's going to be a big guy to because it's a narrow hallway, and here's the camera, and here's me, and here's Joe with the boom, and the slate guy, and blah blah blah. Bonnie's <laughs> back there somewhere having a sandwich. So good luck, action, you know. <laughs> I think I was mostly upset because it's just so fun to look at Bonnie. And when you were blocking her from Aww. my view, that wasn't as fun. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Bonnie, Bonnie's, Bonnie's a little more attractive than me. I think Eddie's a little more attractive than me, too. I, oh, good I, heavens. You know. I, look, yeah, let's Eddie's not go that far. Let's not go that far about Eddie, you know. <laughs> I love Eddie. I, I think he's fabulous. I think he, I love watching him. That's why I was so excited when I saw him pop up on the screen. Um, because well, you we know, don't we, see um, him enough. We, uh, we have this iTunes promotion going with the movie, um, and we have a, a behind-the-scenes documentary called Mean Splains. Get it? Cruel Hearts, Mean Splains. And um, if you get the film on iTunes, um, either pre-order it or get it tomorrow when it comes out, we'll send you a link to, to Mean Splains. You just have to send us a proof of purchase. Mm-hmm. To info at conspicuous pictures movie, uh, sorry, info, info at conspicuous pictures dot com or info at cruelheartsmovie dot com. Send it to there, and we'll send you back means planes. And if you see means planes, you see a lot of uh, the behind the scenes mechanics of how we went into this, including a lot of Eddie riffing, oh, a God. lot of Eddie riffing, playing with the character because Eddie. Eddie comes in with something different every time. Mm-hmm. And he's always shooting this great stuff from the hip, and it's gold. And a lot of it you can't use. It's too, you know, it's just too out of bounds. But there's amazing stuff of him bossing uh, Marion around and bossing Pat around and trying to get drinks out of Pat and um, a lot of great stuff. So if you get the behind-the-scenes documentary, you can see a ton more Eddie magic. So now... I just want to comment on, on that for one second. You know, Paul sent us this documentary late last night. I haven't even had a chance to talk to you about this, Paul. It's so incredible. Yeah. It was just such a joy oh, to watch that. You know, after sitting with this movie for as long as we have, and then what you did with that doc, I, I, at first I was like, oh, what's this going to be? You know, is this going to be embarrassing? And what am I doing when I'm not 
in character and stuff. But to go through right. and watch that and the time and effort you put in it, I, I was almost on the verge of tears missing everybody so much, oh. you know, because you, you yeah. forget <laughs> what a wonderful experience it was, as exhausting as it was, but how wonderful it was to be with these people for this short amount of time. You know, it, it was just really yeah, incredible. And bond so, over this material, yeah. I, I recommend um, yeah, the that, docu- that little uh, documentary. Thanks, Pat. Uh, the, the documentary, we just finished it last night. So Pat wow. just saw the documentary for the first time yesterday. I guess last night you and Melanie watched it. It's um, but it's. I try to get my outtakes, like like B roll, behind the scenes footage, mm-hmm. interviews, and create the feeling of what it's like to be on set. Mm-hmm. So if you like the movie, you can watch it and go, oh, well, this is what it was like to be there and and see it all kind of go down. Wow, I'm and no spoilers, but uh, the the slate stuff was just magical. I kept laughing. Oh God! <laughs> you know the I... outtakes of the slate. I've got to. I've got to ask you, Patrick. What does that do to you, as an actor, when you're playing opposite somebody like Eddie, who is he's ad libbing, he's shooting from the hip, and the scenes that you have together are extremely controlled, extremely emotional. Um, does that throw you off? Does it? Is that something you like to feed off of? What's that like for you in something that is? as scripted as this with specific beats that have to be hit? Well, I personally love it. I love the offbeat moments. I think that, uh, you know, for me, the best films are when you're catching it, this reactive stuff that's so live and it's happening and you try to keep it alive the whole time, obviously. But somebody like Eddie Jamison shows up who's incredibly talented, incredibly kind, so professional. He's worked with some of the biggest and best and he's, got a great sense of humor he's so humble and he's such a giving actor because he likes to keep it fresh too in the moment so for me it's even more of a gift to have an actor like that that's not so stuck in their choices and and ready to play and you know we were fighting lots of things um in the back parking lot with sound and light and all this stuff and paul you know was trying to juggle all these hats as he often does on set but to have eddie there it just gave us all a little bit more confidence and comfort with all the other things that were happening, which you'll see some of them in that in that doc that Paul mm-hmm. was referring to. Well, and he's just—I can't say enough about him. I, I would love to just show up to set today and be working with him again. Oh, well, you know, and I, you know, I I learned from him too. I mean, the, the really great actors—you learn from them as you perform with them. You really do. Well, you know, that's to me is one of the joys of this art form. You know, this is and one of the fun things in this film, Patrick, is we get to see you have a semi-love scene, and at the same time, you know, wield a gun, punch somebody out. Um, you really get, you, you get to, you know, show everybody all the fun that you have and what you can do. Do you like the, the physicality with, that comes with some of the roles that you do, such as here? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's like being a kid again. You're running around playing with guns and beating people up. Right? And, and that's not something... It's not a role that I ever thought, especially at my age, that I get to play. So it's a testament to Paul that he took a risk and let me, you know, sort of dive into this character because it's, it's nothing I've ever played before or saw myself as playing. And you get to do a love scene. Right? <laughs> with, with a woman that's far outside of my league. <laughs> <laughs> he would joke. He would joke like at the end of the day, he goes, are you sure the camera didn't break down? Do we need to do that again? The scene with Bonnie, do we need to... Are you sure that, because digital, you never know. Something, like, you could go over a thing. Maybe you should put it in that car, or we should just 
do a couple pickups. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! But I mean, it's just watching your your you run the gamut here, Patrick, is just fabulous. Um, and I just I had so much fun watching it, and then because of the way. Paul, you've edited this film, Paul, since you were also editing. Um, yeah. The way that you go back and forth in, we're linear, but not quite linear. And we, we get to see, uh, yeah. we might, we get to see Patrick, you know, do a double take, so to speak, a few times. Um, <laughs> same with Alev. We get to see him in a, in a double take a few times. And it's so fun. I, I've got to ask, Paul, as the editor, as you're directing and knowing that you're going to be editing as well, does that mm-hmm. cut down on your actual shoot time? Does that make it more expedient for you? Are you thinking in your head, okay, well, I can eliminate this shot. I don't need to do this shot because in your head you're seeing how your edit's going to go? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah, you. Um, I mean, I, I'm very organized and very planned. I plan everything uh pretty heavily we do actually a lot of rehearsals with the actors before the shoot to kind of work out the bugs of the scene um everything from you know reading them talking about whatever the actors feel they need to to bring into the scene they want to talk about the history of the characters or whatever up to getting it up on its feet and blocking it at least rudimentarily and we get into the actual location the blocking changes it changes a little bit but they're always familiar and comfortable with the scene we've kind of worked out a lot of the kinks um and I've worked out the kinks in my head in terms of how I want to shoot it, how I want to cover it, how I want to piece it together. That said, I always make sure I have the way I want to cut it covered and another way out covered in case, mm-hmm. in case the way I want to cut it doesn't work. I've always got kind of some safety. But absolutely, like as you're going, you suddenly realize, oh, you only need, I may need an extra shot here, or I can eliminate this. I can combine these two shots because I don't need this, or I can. So that's always. Um, uh, kind of a way to go. What's what's interesting to me is I find that actually editing my own stuff ends up increasing the, sh- the oh. list because I suddenly go, you know, if you have more than two characters talking, you have, and you want to, I mean, this is, you know, this, we're going to talk into the real, we're getting into how the sausage is made a little bit, but in terms of maintaining the, the 180 degree rule for editing, you know, that if a character is talking to each other and one's looking camera right, in their coverage, the other ones should be looking camera left in their coverage. But if you're the third person talking, then you have additional lines you have to cover. Mm-hmm. This person is talking when this person's talking over here, they have to look this way, they have to look this way. And so because I'm always very meticulous about how I want to put the thing together, I never get caught in a situation where, oh, this person's in the wrong direction to talk to character B because they're they, I, I lined it up to talk to character A or whatever. So um Sometimes it's more efficient, sometimes it actually adds shots. Fortunately, <laughs> I'm organized enough that when I walk in, I know what shot number one is, shot number two is. I've got a whole list in my back pocket. I've broken it down. I've given all that to the crew. They've broken it down, and we're really ready to go um, so we can move as, as quickly as possible. So I've got to ask you guys, because we're almost out of time, but I've got to ask you guys, what is the magic of your collaboration? Um, because, you know, this you've already said, Paul, that Patrick is your muse. You've now done three, yeah. these three films together. So I'm curious, what is the magic of, of this collaboration with the two of you? Uh, I, for me, I, I think it's a big part of trusting the people you're working with. You know, if you don't have that trust and that respect, 
then you're not free to sort of be in the moment and relax. And, you know, that, that to me is a big part of the magic. Um, also working with a small group of people that are extremely passionate. I mean, these locations that you mentioned, John Brown uh, is, one of his day jobs is as a location scout or producer. Mm. And he helped us find these amazing locations that you'd refer to earlier. Um, you had mentioned that purple shirt. Alina Torres was our costume designer, among many other things. On this last film that we worked on, Fluorescent Beast, she's there also not doing costumes, but picking up a light, moving it around. She'll sometimes stay on book <laughs> for me if I need it. And you just have this group of artists that are coming together with this common ground of loving this art form and wanting to tell an interesting story supported by the wonderful Paul Osborne who's one of a kind who's um you know a writer a director and an editor and you know brings it in way way below what you would think in terms of um, budget and delivers a product that you know hopefully people really appreciate so for me that's where the magic comes well, uh, hey, uh, I believe you. Well said. I don't know how much. <laughs> With what I've seen on screen, you know, I think you really, I think you hit the nail on the head, Pat. I really think you did. Um, because it's just, it's glorious. And I, I for one, I'm looking forward to the next one. Me oh, too. Thanks. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's an editing right now for us and Beast. Oh, well, get it done. <laughs> I want to see it. I want to have you guys back on. Uh, to talk about more films. My God. I would love yeah. that. I love having yep. you on, Pat. I mean, you know, Pat's a repeat. I love, I love, I love my repeats. Um, <laughs> I, me too. We had such a good time last time I was on. I was so thrilled. Yeah, with Blaine and to Cut to the Chase. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, well, unfortunately, guys, I have to let you go to talk to another collaborating no. pair. I know. But you both must come back on the show again. Well, thank you so much for your time, Debbie. You must come back. And uh, and everybody can see Cruel Hearts tomorrow. Where can they find it tomorrow? Uh, it's It'll be on video on demand, all the flavors. So iTunes, Voodoo, uh, YouTube, Rental, um, Amazon Prime, all the... All the places you can rent or purchase movies digitally. It's on Blu-ray and DVD everywhere. Target online, Best Buy online, uh, Amazon, of course. Um, and there's actually uh, some select views. It's playing in Albany. It's playing in Denver. It's playing in Birmingham. So you can actually uh, see it in the theater if you're so inclined. Wow. Wow. Well, you, you said the magic word. I will be going to Target tomorrow to pick up a copy just so I can own it and have it. You know, thank you. You know, it's one of my favorite shopping excursions is Target. So <laughs> we love the Target. It's French boutiques. Oh, guys, thank you so so much, and I will talk to you both again soon. All right. Yeah, thank you for your thank time. You so I much. appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. Bye. And that was Paul Osborne and Patrick Day talking Cruel Hearts, which you can all see tomorrow. On all video platforms, digital, and you go buy a Blu-ray, a DVD, and even see it in some theaters. It's well worth it. And now, now, now we have the Battle of the Drews here. Welcome, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, how's it going, Debbie? Who do, okay, now, for Voice Rec, who have I got? 
Van Acker. Yeah, that's me. Right okay. Here. And Check, then checking in. One two. One two. That's good. And then we've got let me see see if I get your last name right. Malria. Milray, but Mil- that's me right here. Milray. I like that. <laughs> it's much easier to say. I like Malria. Yeah, it sounds fancy. Well, I have to tell. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You can call me that. <laughs> I'm just going to call you Drew and Drew. Uh, or maybe I'll yell Van Acker. Um, guys, I had so much fun watching Spy Intervention. So yes, much fun. Spy movie parody. And you play it very similarly to those of us that are old enough to remember Batman with Adam West and Burt Ward in the 60s. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you've got some great tongue-in-cheek, but you also have actors that are playing it for straight um, with all the, exactly. the, the insanity and the fun happening around them. Um, you, yeah. I love, Drew, I love what you did with your purposeful green screen. And obvious fakery of climbing mountain, you know, Mount Everest and all of this. And that just adds fuel to the funny. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Our, our, our idea was to create, like you said, an environment that was absolutely absurd and didn't feel real at all. And then with the actors taking it just so seriously and these interesting character arcs, it kind of just pokes fun at the the whole spy genre in like a new and we think kind of fresh way i think it's definitely definitely a very fresh way you even have it even borders on almost a slight genre mash with a rom-com um sure which we have which we haven't seen but i have to say van acker you know when they're looking for a new james bond you need to be throwing your hat in the ring here I, I, I will certainly try. I will certainly try. Drew, you are. I did a lot of watch. I did a lot of watching James Bond before this movie too. So it kind of threw the old ones, you know, like um, Doctor No and Thunderball yes. and stuff. And um, so it, it kind of throws you into that world. Uh, but I, I've been a big fan of those movies pretty much my whole life. I think as a lot of us have. So yeah, that would be amazing. And I'm glad you mentioned the old school ones because. You know, the old school, um, your composer, Roger, actually picks up some of the, you know, typical spy, the typical old school Bond, you know, thematic motifs almost. Um, He did, yeah. Yeah. He he was channeling, like, Henry Mancini or Albert, you know. We we always talked about it being, you know, we didn't want it to be, like, an over-the-top parody. We wanted it to you know, be really, really sweet and have these callbacks. And, um, yeah, it has almost like a tiki vibe in an interesting way. Yeah, very fun. And then you guys throw in elements that made me think of True Lies. The dance sequence, oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the dance sequence was a lot of fun. Obviously, no one will be appearing on Dancing with the Stars in any upcoming seasons. Yeah, oh, no, so I, I'm not yeah, sure about we. That. Sorry, Gojo. <laughs> I think I think we had a lot of fun kind of kind of coming up with the choreography for that too, because Ray and I had, and you know all the actors we had talked about what we wanted and and you know we wanted something very unique and very different and <laughs> you got you know, that. something that you wouldn't <laughs> see on a, on a regular basis. <laughs> you got that. 
Uh, <laughs> and just you know? everyone taking something so ridiculous so seriously, we thought was just a joy, you know, that that this like evil arch nemesis could be engaged in this <laughs> over the top dance battle, but taking it like as seriously as possible is just kind of like, like the effects and everyone's taking it seriously. It was just like a lot of fun. I mean, it just, I was, I was sitting there laughing hilar- hysterically at that. Um, now I've got to ask <laughs> you now. Okay. Milray, you came in after Van Acker was already attached, correct? I did, yes. So how did each of you get involved in the project? Since you came on first, Drew, um, actor, mm-hmm. and then you're also executive producer on here. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. you know, how much you got into the producing aspect of this in addition to the performance. Um, and then uh, for Milray, how you got involved. Yeah, um, Mil- Milray, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, I had done a movie with the producers um, prior to this film called um, Life Like, and the producers approached me. We were just having a really good time, and you know we vibed really, really well on set, and um, it was just a really good energy and all around. And they they had come to me and said, you know, we have this other script that we're doing that you know we're really trying to get off the ground. We think you're perfect for. Um, you know, let's just at least discuss. And I read the script that Mark and Lane had. Um, written and I loved it you know it was a lot of fun I think what they did on the page was was all there I knew this could be something really fun um, and really exciting to do so coming on board early was um, was was kind of interesting because Sunil and I had talked and one of the producers and I had talked about you know this is going to come down to how do we what director we find and who can we get to really put their stamp on it and do something fun and original with with this with this spy story and you know Sunil, um one of our producers had you know had met milray once before and he said you got to meet this guy um <laughs> you have to meet this guy he's, he's an absolute genius and uh we we had one coffee and he came in i've said this all along he came in with more preparation i think he had two days um to read the script and then and then we met two days later he came in with so much preparation i left so inspired it kind of blew us out of the water Sunil, called each other after the meeting um, and said, okay, this guy's very special. You know, there's something absolutely remarkable about what he brought and his vision. You know, we, I had no idea that this story could even go there. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, it was an absolute no-brainer. We called each other and we're like, you know, this is the guy. I mean, this, how could it not be? Um, and I think it shows, you know, it shows in the movie. It's, it, it, these are things that, you know, I had sat with the script for a while and, he had ideas and, and, and a vision and, and story that um, I could I couldn't even I couldn't even come up with on, on my best day. So um, it, 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 once it got into his hands, it felt like the train had had just left the station. Well, and I have to I have to tell you guys that that's something you you just hit hit the nail on the head with Milray's ideas because mm-hmm. what you do visually. There is such a great visual differential in the design and the tonal ba- visual tonal bandwidth between the spy world and the married life of your character of Corey and mm-hmm. the down-to-earth, grounded Pam who wants the house and the home and to go to Home Depot <laughs> and buy track lighting and install it and have dinner parties. Um, right, so right. the visual differential is fabulous, playing with the aspect ratio. But the entire time, 
this really focuses, the story focus stays on Corey and Pam, and everything else revolves around it. And that, it does, yeah, it that does. sets you up, and then you run with that, with these great visuals and the visual contrast between Spy World, Married Life. And yes, Married Life does look a lot blander than Spy World. Um, <laughs> so, you know, what, for you, Milray, you and your DP, Danny Gruns, I mean, what you guys have done visually is fabulous. Did you storyboard? Did you shot list? How did you go about developing the visual design to bring this story on the page to life and keep that central focus? Yeah, well, um, it all, it all, thank you for those words, Debbie. Um, it all started, I think, with, you know, the script. And when I initially kind of read it, I really connected with the themes. But I thought to myself, okay, how can we do this in a way that we haven't seen before? You know, we've seen those spy parodies. And how can we mount this production in a way that's going to surprise the audience? You know, whether it's the dance sequences or all the models we're using. Um, so, you know, every kind of visual decision that we made was kind of based on that. Um, and with the aspect ratios, our thought was, you know, Corey's spy life is adventurous but superficial. So mm-hmm. it should look superficial, almost like this fairy tale life that's not real. And then when he comes out of it and he's connecting with this person and this, you know, new, uh, you know, love in his life, he feels grounded and, you know, we want to make that feel natural. So that was kind of our thinking behind everything. Um, and then in terms of execution, we only had 20 days to film. We had 20 wow. days with the actors um, and mm-hmm. two days with models. So we didn't have much time at all. So just by necessity, we had to storyboard every single shot. You know, we scouted for about a month ahead of time. We knew all of our locations. And um, we just kind of, almost like an animated film, we had, you know, all of our storyboards lining uh, our production office and every day we would just start knocking them off. Um, and we just had a very clear idea of what we wanted to do going in. Um, and thankfully, you know, the actors were, were open to that because, you know, we have Blake, we have Brittany who are so good at improv and they were really, really helpful kind of looking at the storyboards, kind of understanding how the scene was going to play out and how they could do their thing kind of within that visual language in our tight schedule. Mm-hmm. Well, now you mentioned two important supporting keys here, Blake Anderson and Brittany Furland as Smuts mm-hmm. and Brianna, uh, essentially the respect, the BFF, uh, respective <laughs> to Corey and to Pam. The classic. And I got to mm-hmm. tell you from the minute once, cause we'd been watching Smuts and his, who's, who Blake plays watching his interaction with Corey then when Brianna appears and we've got Brianna's interactions with Pam, immediately I'm thinking, oh, these two need to hook up. This, this is so much. A, this all I, I kept thinking of Will and Grace, Jack and Karen. Um, yes, yes. Uh, you know, just the two of them. And when you have two people that are so good at funny and improvisation, what does that do to you from a directorial standpoint and you, Drew, from an acting standpoint when you don't know what's going to come out of the mouths of your acting partner? Yeah, well, ahead, I think from a, a direct, yeah, from a directorial standpoint, I think there's no greater joy than 
you know, starting a scene, turning on the camera and being surprised at something that you could never have thought of, but also plays to the, the larger themes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what both Blake and Brittany do so incredibly well. They really understand, you know, the thematics and what's going on at the scene and what they want. And, you know, all of their improv comes from that place. So more times than not, when they would do this improv, um, we would be busting up laughing, but it also like made the scene better, which mm-hmm. was just so great. Sometimes we had to um, tone it down a little <laughs> bit because we, again, didn't have the most time in the world. But um, yeah, it was just it was just awesome to see. And it had the crew obviously just like busting up. There's a couple of takes in the movie where you can see the camera shaking because the camera operator is laughing <laughs> so much. Um, and uh, yeah, it was they're, they're really great. Drew, what's it like to, to be acting against Blake and Brittany? You know, I think the the biggest thing I took from it was just a learning aspect. You know, I, I kind of went into it excited because I knew how funny they were individually, but I was kind of eager to see how they would bring that into uh, performance. Mm-hmm. And they were both so present in in like Milray said what they what they were bringing to the character that when we got to actually filming the scenes and and doing rehearsals, it was so obvious that this was just going to be a creative, a creative space. And I found myself at times like falling out of the scenes because I would just be watching Blake. And especially when the two of them were were in the scenes together, you know, I'd just be watching the two of them interact and even the subtleties of their performances. And and like you said, the improv of it all, um, you can watch the film three or four times and you'll see, you know, little tiny nuances that they do, whether it be in the background or, you know, in the forefront that are just genius. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it was a big, it was a big learning experience too, because um, I just got to see how fluid they were, but also so present as well in the scene at the same time. So, you know, Blake and I had a lot of fun and, and Milray was cool with, with, you know, kind of letting us have some fun and seeing where the scenes went. And um, we kind of just played off each other and, and just, and just ran with it. And I think it was, for me, it was an eye opening experience because uh, just to have that freedom and to have that trust, yeah, because um, that's something, kinda, and to kind of let it all let it all go was was amazing. That's something you don't normally get um, with television, and you have exactly. done primary from Training Day, Pretty Little Liars, Devious Maids, yeah. which I loved you in, by the way. Uh, oh, thank you. The Lake, you know, it, TV is much more structured. You've got much quicker. You got to move. You got to keep going. Yeah, um, yep. it's got to get on the air. Um, so <laughs> you don't, you don't get that time to play. Um, yeah. now having had the chance to play here, yep. do you see yourself wanting to, to do more films so that you can experience that? Especially now that you're also, you've got a producer's credit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the, like you I think you hit it, you know, the nail right on the head is, is the play of it all and the freedom of it all is. Sometimes, you know, there's a lot of good television out there. Um, but at the same time, like you said, the schedules are usually a little tighter. Yeah. So you, you may not have the room and the, and the freedom to kind of to play around and to have that movement and that, um, um, that freedom to kind of explore and, and to find, you know, different things that um, can, can kind of create the character and the performance as a whole. So, you know, with these films, especially, um, especially this one, you know, having a director like Milray who allows for that, mm-hmm. 
was, you know, it just takes an enormous weight off your back. And it's kind of what a scenario where you bring the preparation to production on the first day, you let all that go. And, um, you know, I trusted Milray from the moment I met him <laughs> and I had known him for an hour. So by the time we got to set and by the time we were filming, it was like, you know, he's not ever going to let this steer in a direction that is, is going to be detrimental to the film or to my character. So that amount of trust just allowed me to, to kind of just run with it, you know, at full speed. And then, like you said, you can always tone it back and, and kind of play with it. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely, we have a couple projects coming up that well, we can't, I can't really speak too much on now. That's but, okay. Um, you know, we, we, we hope that we can announce, um, in the next coming weeks some some casting choices and, uh, uh, finalize some deals and stuff. So, um, yeah, I definitely will be seeing, seeing more of the, of the, of the film world, film world in, um, in the coming years. Well, you mentioned something very key, and that's casting. You guys have to talk mm. to me about casting Poppy because she is fabulous as Pam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, She's so great. Uh, and I think go ahead, Noreg. What Poppy, you know, comes from this, you know, uh, high glamour fashion. I mean, she's a supermodel background, and um, you know, when she first kind of came into the mix, I was looking at, you know this this you know this life that she led and just like oh my gosh the cover of all these magazines but then what was amazing is when we talked she was just the most grounded down-to-earth person that i had you know talked to during this whole process and i thought wow like what an awesome opportunity you've got this you know beautiful model who is so grounded and in the movie we're doing the opposite we've got this grounded character who essentially becomes a spy in a way, by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so she could just play both sides so naturally and so well. Um, and when, you know, she showed up, we would do a lot of rehearsal with her, and she was just such a grounding force. And just like, um, I mean, she's just brilliant. She's just such a natural performer, and she really understands the scenes. And Drew, I mean, you can talk what it was like to, to be working um, alongside her. Um, yeah, Pop- Poppy's just a natural, I think. Um you know, like Mo, I said, her name got brought up. And uh, for me, I was excited because I like actors who kind of are willing to push the envelope and kind of, you know, step out of what they may have been previously known for or, you know, want to just want to just like Mo, I said, we had 20 days. And so we, the first thing that we, we needed was to have a group of actors who came on board with the same mentality, um, the same mindset and the same goal in mind, you know, fully prepared from day one. Um, and then also, you know, in a 20 day shoot, it's like, if everybody's not on the same page, things can kind of slow down and and stall in a way. And and Poppy was just, you know, the quintessential professional. I mean, she was, she was prepared. Um, she was lovely. She was polite and, and she was fun to kind of act opposite because she had this, she just had this, this realness, I, I guess I could say this this generosity to her performance that just made me kind of as Corey, you know, fall in love with this girl. Mm -hmm. And, um, she just made it, she just made it very easy to stay present in the scenes. And, um, you know, it's all you can ask for as an actor. And, you know, like I said, with Blake and Brittany, I say the same with Poppy, you know, I found myself kind of (laughs) checking out at times and, and watching her performance. And, And that was just me being kind of captivated by it. Um, as a whole. So she, she was lovely. Absolute delight. 
You know, my bit, my one disappointment with the, with the film is that I never got to see anybody install the track lighting. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, there is track lighting on the counter in the kitchen yes. waiting to be installed throughout yeah, the movie. But, but yes, no, it never gets Never <laughs> got to see anyone install it. There's so, it's we're like, gonna do, hey, we're but gonna it gets used. It gets <laughs> used in a very surprising way in the end. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah mean, we're going to do a behind the scenes with, um, oh, track with lighting. No just installing track lighting. Yeah, I mean that's the MacGuffin. Yeah. That's MacGuffin. That's it. The track lighting and the dinner party. <laughs> you know, all these dinner parties that are going to happen. Um, yeah, right. Now, you know, how strictly did you adhere to the script? Um, I got to tell you, I I'm so thrilled that Lane Garrison has taken all of his on camera experience and now turned it into writing. Um, yeah. because I'm just a huge admirer of his work and have been for a long time. But this sure. script that Lane and Mark wrote, how did you adhere to it? Did you have to tweak it? And then how, and when you've got two, you know, ad lib, you know, funny ad libbers on hand, you know, how do you stick to that script? Yeah. You know, we actually stuck to the script. The script was, you know, just brilliant on, on a first read and it's just clever in so many different ways. And we did stick to the script pretty, I mean, pretty strictly throughout uh, the visual style is maybe one place we diverged because mm -hmm. we, you know, had this idea with the models and the two different worlds, the spy world and the romantic world. But in terms of the script and the dialogue and the themes, we did stick to it um, pretty, yeah, we stuck to it pretty strictly. And we would always do two or three takes, you know, on book with the script, um, make small adjustments, you know, if something needed to be tweaked. And then after three takes, when we felt like we got it, that's when we would kind of let, you know, if it was Blake or Brittany or even Drew, you know, because I think they really rubbed off on him in terms of just like <laughs> being loose and Absolutely. just kind of... Um, connecting with the themes and just kind of going with, you know, making up some dialogue, like take four or five, we would kind of just let people go off the rails and kind of see what happened. Like after we knew that we really had those takes that we, you know, absolutely needed um, in the edit. So, yeah, so we definitely four or five, six, we would kind of go off the rails, have fun with it, you know, make these like exciting little discoveries or sometimes, you know, we would just totally go off the rails and nothing was usable at all. Um, but that's kind of, that's how we approach it. <laughs> you know, I, you've mentioned the models. Talk to me about the models, uh, Mill Ray, uh, and incorporating those in here, because that's such a key element of your visual design. Yes. Well, we wanted, you know, the whole thing, it starts in that natural history museum, and we wanted the whole thing to be framed, you know, as almost like a fairy tale. I kind of touched on it a little bit before, but mm -hmm. like, Corey's spy life isn't the real world and he's kind of in this, you know, suspended state until he meets Pam. And so it was just really important to me that when he was with Pam, everything felt beautiful, natural and romantic. And then when he was in the spy world, it was like just absurd and almost ridiculous that it just was over the top. And I thought using models was the best way to reinforce that and also call back to like you mentioned the Batman show mm -hmm. and all of these old kind of TV shows and old, even James Bond movies where you can see the models and it doesn't oh, look yeah. real at all. Um, and I think, you know, a modern audience is so tired of like CGI and everything looking super real that having something that looks so stylized and puts you, you know, in this different, you know, fairy tale world would be really exciting to a modern audience. 
Um, so yeah, that was kind of our thinking behind it. And then, you know, to film it was, um, was also really fun because we had a model shop kind of like right next to our production headquarters and <laughs> our art team was building all of these little models and we could kind of check in and like take little pictures and kind of figure out how we're going to film the live action elements and incorporate it all together. Um, so it was a delight to film as well. Well, this whole film is an absolute delight. Now, it opens Friday on Valentine's Day. This is a perfect Valentine. Yes. Perfect Valentine. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. And it, your day. And it's theaters and VOD. Yes. That's so, right. Yeah, so, we're coming out in 10 cities and on demand. So you can stay at home. You don't have to go out on Valentine's Day. You can stay at home and you can watch Spy Intervention in the comfort of your own home. Yes, you can. <laughs> I... I what you were going to say oh, something, Van Acker? I was just going to say I. I was just going to say I'm more of a theater person myself, but um, I know many people. Many people aren't. So, so I've seen the film twice now, and it is worth seeing it on a big screen. That's I, just my this, opinion. This but, is one that I want to see on a big screen. I always prefer to screen films and see them on the big screen, but sometimes yeah. it's like all they have are links available for me is pressed to screen. So I make right. do. You know, I've got a 50 inch screen. But uh, <laughs> still, it's not big screen. Yeah, it's not big screen. And this is not one. Big, I mean, it's a big. It's a big screen. It's just not the biggest screen. Right. It's but not... also, seeing it with an audience too, there's something infectious about having that energy of an audience. You know, watching something sure. together, especially a comedy. Oh, and this film in particular, because you have so many nods and touchstones, you know, to all the spy movies that have come before. Um, you've got the the rom com elements in there. And, of course, I think all of Van Acker's fans that have followed him through TV through all these years should be front and center mm -hmm. going to see this film. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because it's something, it's something new from you as an actor. Yeah. Um, and it does. You could very easily slide into the shoes of James Bond, or at least a sequel to this. <laughs> Um, yeah, there you go. Oh, he definitely could. Drew the movie star. There's no question about that's it. That's right. Well, guys, unfortunately, we're all out of time for the entire show today. I can't thank you oh. enough. This has been a joy having the two of you on. I, I hope. No, thank, hey, thank you, you so, so much. much. We appreciate. I time. hope you'll come back on. I would love to oh, have. Absolutely. We hope so too. Make some more movies. Hell yeah, we're on it. <laughs> thank you so much, guys, and hopefully, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thank, thank you. Bye-bye. talking with you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was the Battle of the Drews. Drew Milray, Drew Van Acker, talking about spy intervention in theaters and on VOD this Friday. Two winning films today, people, that you'll be able, both of them you can see this week. Um, and I recommend both of them highly. Great performances, wonderful production values in both of them. Um, so enjoy the week. Enjoy Valentine's with Cruel Hearts and Spy Intervention. That is all the time we have today. Next week, he's back. Steve Lee, founder, sound guru and founder of the Hollywood Sound Museum. Steve is back, and he's bringing a few new golden boys with him that haven't visited us before. Um, and we'll be talking about the sound probably Oscar-winning sound as well, and the current Kickstarter campaign for the Hollywood Sound Museum. So, until next week, 
I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. 